What's going on, everybody? Kyle Means here, editorial director, We Are Regal Radio dot com, War Media, giving you more of what you're searching for. And um, yeah, just a quick intro here for this episode of Running with War. Uh, basically, stitched together uh, segments. The majority of uh, most of our last two sessions, we've done talking uh, all of all the ones. All the people you can hear talking are in this episode, of course, myself and our regular uh, co-hosts with the show, uh, Chris Pennant and Joshua M. Hicks. And we have our guests as well uh, for this one. Our first time guest, uh, one of our new guys with uh, War Media, Drew Stevens, who you can hear in this first segment that I'm about to throw you to. And of course, our main guy, Scoop B, uh, NBA Insider, uh, Supreme, and all that. And um, you no, know, we just go through a lot of stuff with the game right now, both NBA and WNBA. Uh, you can hear a good deal of WNBA talking this first segment with Chris and um, talking, you know, talking uh, anniversaries and stuff. Of course, anniversary of uh, LeBron's Miami decision. Was last week. We're getting to that. Uh, the earlier this week, I should say. <laughs> and um, you know, uh, with scoop stuff, we you'll hear him uh, in a bit after the first segment that we do. Um, you'll hear from him. We'll go right into him uh, talking about issues regarding the press and you know just the the overall worries about the. You know the, how things are going in Florida right now with the COVID virus and everything. It's just uh, you know kind of uh, you know kind of really some things to worry about down there about keeping folks healthy, the, the ball players healthy and everything. You know, but even in that bubble, that well prepared bubble, you know, making sure that they're not uh, you know privy to what's been going on in the rest of that state. And uh, even today, you've got people who are worried about, uh, you know, who are saying that the bubble may not last too much longer because, you know, you got girls saying that they're, they've been invited into the bubble and that maybe, you know, some ways to get around security and, uh, and all that stuff. It's just, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of ways to get around things. If you give people enough resources, they'll find ways to get around anything. But uh, anyway, that's, you know, pre-bubble talk again. More of that with Running With War. Still observing and looking at what's going on. This grand experiment that uh, pro basketball is doing right now is uh, definitely uh, issue number one on our list here. And uh, we'll keep on giving you more of that as we work ourselves up to these games, as well as previewing the, the the actual games and the possible matchups and stuff itself. So keep looking out for more of that, Running With War. Each week we're going to try to give you a little something uh, new on our end with that. So uh, keep looking out for that and look out for all our other shows, Dean Davis, Second City Sports, In The Scope, and possibly a bit more. You know, we'll... we'll uh, let you see that as it comes. All right.
Joshua M. Hex, senior writer of War Media. And we got a special edition of Running With War. We got my main man, Chris Pennett, senior writer for War Media, as well as co-host of the Skyhook podcast, which that mug is fine. Him and James K. <laughs> killing it. <laughs> killing it. So on the Skyhook, criminal Jabbar star with the Chicago Sky, man. <laughs> Definitely got to check that out. But we also got the rookie. We got rookie writer for War Media making his first appearance on the, the Running With War podcast, Drew Stevens. Colin is my, my brothers. How y'all doing? Feeling good, man. Pleasure to be here with y'all. Real good, Josh, as always. And hold on, let me back it up, man. The way, the way Drew writes, can't call him a rookie. He's at least, he's a transfer <laughs> student at the very least. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hey, that's very true. That, that's man. true. Because Drew been killing some stuff. We're gonna get to that article. We're gonna get to that Came over like Luka Doncic. Yeah, he's he out here killing it. He's out here yeah. killing it. So we gotta give him his props. That's for sure. I appreciate the love, man, for real. For sure. But you know, we still gotta haze you a little bit. You are our first year with the with war meetings. I gotta haze you just a tad bit. Oh, yeah. Tad bit. Close with the territory. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Most definitely. But guys, man, there's a lot of, even though there's not much sports as far as games is going on, as far as the NBA is concerned, or the WNBA, there's a lot of stuff happening around the league. We're going to first start off, though, with a very special day, because today, we are recording this on a, on a Wednesday, people, if you guys are listening, it's Wednesday, July 8th, July 8th, it's Wednesday, July 8th. This was the day 10 years ago that LeBron James did the decision and made his announcement to come to the Miami Heat and join the big three with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. My man's Drew did a very special article for War Media regarding this decision and his input on that. So Drew, give us, give us more in-depth regarding your article that you wrote and your opinion on the decision. So basically, it's just kind of a, a rundown, a little bit of a, a recap mixed with obviously my own opinion on what happened and um, what, what made it even more special um, than just the spectacular fashion that he went about telling the world where he was going is the fact that the night of the decision, I was actually in St. Lucia on my third or fourth day of my honeymoon. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy, man. And, and, and you know, you on a resort, you know, you drinking, uh, you're not worried about nothing. But best believe, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, what time has come on? I got to know where my man's going because I'm a big a big LeBron fan. Not quite as big as I used to be, um, but I just, I just, I just, I was hoping that this dude was coming to the Bulls, man. I was hoping, praying. And, and it seemed like it was headed that way, and he just threw us for a loop. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely, it was fun to write just to kind of look back at it. Um, I think it's one of those moments where most of us can remember what we were doing, where we were, um, and it just, it caused, like, such chaos in the sports world. Uh, some people were happy, some people were just dumbfounded, other people, you know, a lot of people in Cleveland, obviously, a lot of Cavs fans were just shook, man, just shook. And you had Dan Gilbert writing that, that, that scathing letter, um, which, did he ever apologize for that? That's, that's kind of, that's crazy, man, the way he came out. <laughs> Hell no, he ain't apologized for that. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he did. <laughs> man, because it just had a lot of, like, overtones that, that almost like, man, I, I hate to bring it to this, to this point, but almost like a, a, 
slave master cracking the whip, man. Like that was it was wild, y'all. It was wild, man. What what do y'all remember about it? I was 22 years old. I was in Peoria, Bradley, as you see on Josh's back wall down there. I just uh, just graduated. I would just walked in the spring, and I was hyped up, man. I had not been a Bulls fan in as much as I had been since I was a child that day because Rose had gotten there, the baby Bulls, Heinrich, Dang, uh, even Tyrus Thomas. They had that incredible series with the Celtics two years before that and then got knocked out of the playoffs uh, by the Cavs, as a matter of fact, the year after, in 2000, um, 2010. I think that spring they lost to the Cavs, and then LeBron lost to the Celtics in the second round. So I was hyped up. Like everybody else was, I was hyped up. Everybody was pushing the Bulls as LeBron's best possible destination. This is back when people still believe what Chris Broussard said. He was saying that LeBron <laughs> was coming. Stephen A. was saying it was the best fit for LeBron. And then LeBron spurned everybody else and went to Miami. And it was crushing. I was in my friend's house uh, with my roommates, and I, I probably yelled and bitched around the, the living room for a while. I was like, Miami, Miami. Like, why would LeBron want to come to a backwater place like Miami? <laughs> Mr. Chicago. So you know how much I was standing by, back then. But I was excited after that because, I mean, it was the Bulls, right? They had Rose, who was on such an upswing. They had a talented core, Noah. They got Carlos Boozer, which I was like, mm, but <laughs> Boozer ended up being very dependable for the time he was here, even though he was injured a lot of that first year. Like, you can't sleep on what he did, uh, what he accomplished while he was here. So I was excited after that because it made that rivalry even stronger. You knew LeBron was the new big dog, at least in the Eastern Conference. So... For the Bulls to step up and challenge him the way that they did after that meant a lot still. Even though they could never get past him, it, it energized me. That was the main driving force for most of my 20s. And that was that made my excitement made a lot of other people Bulls fans. My friends from school, I was telling them every chance I got, you need to check this Derrick Rose kid out. He's the truth. The Bulls are going to, that first year after LeBron went, they swept the heat the regular season, and those are three of the most exciting games I remember. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. I was I was pissed, though. I thought he was soft. I was, I'll say that. <laughs> I was pissed. I, I, forget it. I was pissed. <laughs> I, was, I, I remember where I was. I was I was in Maywood at my grandparents' house. I was in high school. And, you know, as a high school athlete, when you run your boys in high school – Y'all debating LeBron and Bulls all the time, right? So we over here making debates, you know, during our final season, during school year and everything, talking about, oh, LeBron going to come to Chicago. Oh, no, LeBron's going to come to Miami. Le we are having this debate even in high school, even while even school was in session, because we knew, like, this was, this was coming up. And then as time obviously went by and the decision comes, like Chris said, and like you mentioned, Drew, we all was hearing that, okay, he's coming to Chicago. D-Wade took the second meeting. LeBron took the second meeting. It, we over here trying to we – we, and we talk about, oh, my gosh, you got D-Rose with D-Wade and LeBron James in your backcourt? Oh, my goodness. And you had Todd Gibson, too, in his prime – with the prime yeah. joke him. I was like, uh-oh. I was like, man, we – we the dynasty's back. I was ready to take that extra leap. I was ready to go to NBA.com. I don't even buy jerseys. I was going to buy one. 
of LeBron just because <laughs> of this, right? I'm I was not ready. I was ready. And then he finally announced he's going to Miami. I was mad as hell. I was like, what the heck? Like, why would you want to go to Miami? And then I thought about it. I took time. I thought about it. And all I could say was, oh, it's about to get real. Because, like Chris mentioned, although the Bulls did not get the ideal big three or four that we could have potentially had, we did end up making some solid moves in that offseason. Bringing in Kyle Korver, bringing in Carlos Boozer, bringing in C.J. Watson, who at the time was an old backup point guard. Dude had skills. We actually had a legit basketball team. So to have that going on, and then the Heatles, I don't know even where, I don't even know how you get that name, but the Heatles coming to my, from Miami, coming to Chicago for these playoff runs and these playoff pushes, oh, that created such a rivalry. All throughout. Josh, 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 ain't a, Josh ain't a Beatles fan. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I guess we can get. That's where it comes from. I'm not. I, I don't follow rock like that. So that just didn't. It didn't click. Thanks for letting that click though, because I it definitely I didn't you. click when I first <laughs> when I first heard it. So thank you for that clarification, Chris. But but outside of that, I, like Chris said, I'm grateful that we had the rivalries that we had. But I just can't help but but wonder what if because I had Rob Schaefer on my show, on my Indescope podcast, which you can check out every week on War on Anchor. Check that out on all podcast platforms. But I had Rob Schaefer, who was a sports writer for NBC Sports Chicago, and he mentioned he did an article about the what ifs. Like, what if Derrick Rose never got hurt? And what if big? What if LeBron James and D Wade and Chris Bosh somehow all came to Chicago, or at least two of them came to Chicago? And I just can't help but wonder if that happened. Do you really think Derrick Rose would have that injury? Do you think? that the Bulls would have won three straight? Do you think the Bulls would have won two? You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder how many titles we could have won to bring the dynasty back to relevancy. And a question that not many people really thought about, what if if LeBron did come come to Chicago, does winning championships in Chicago tarnish his legacy of chasing Mike? Because Mike was the originator of the dynasty he's he's the main reason why he's he's the goat he has six titles so it's like do you do you wonder if that could that could potentially have tarnished lebron's legacy would it have enhanced it would he have actually gotten the title of M? he's the second coming of mj because he would have potentially brought titles to chicago so those these what ifs that always come to mind i always just wonder what could potentially happen and i'm a hypothetical person so sometimes hypotheticals you know i like to play the game a little bit but that's just something I, I've always thought about when it comes to this specific topic and discussion of the decision. Yeah, to, to your point, um, I think they would at least got the two that he won in Miami. They would at least got two, at the very least. I don't think uh, doing it in Chicago would have tarnished his legacy. I think the fact that you know it would been looked it, it would have been looked at as him teaming up the same way that he teamed up in Miami. KD teamed up in Golden State, that would have tarnished it. Not necessarily um, going to Chicago, but just the fact that he needed help to do what he ended up doing. That was the point, I think, that, you know, a lot of people point to in terms of knocking him off that that GOAT conversation and his, his finals record as well. So, 
<laughs> I feel that. I feel that. What you got to say, Chris, about this? I see you in the background. Like, you sitting there pondering, like, okay, I got to say something to come back. <laughs> well, I honestly, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it because I forgot that Saturday um, on, on July 4th was four years since uh, KD's decision, which was no less uh, as impactful mm-hmm. because that cemented at least another title for Golden State. And it's not that LeBron birthed the idea of free agency um, shakeups and excitement. You know, he wasn't the, the innovator that landing in the But yeah, think about the fact that taking my talents to X became a meme, a whole thing. Like you could say that if you're leaving a job now, that's what LeBron created when he went on ESPN with Jim Gray. And I don't know if the I don't know if the Bulls that time, those two are very similar players. So there would have been an adjustment, especially within Tom Thibodeau's system. So I think they win at least one title. It was just a team that was hungry enough to get it done. And both LeBron and the rest of that squad been going for their first so they would have had that at least one season of pulling on the same rope but I don't know if they win two or three the Spurs were still legit um the Lakers still had a little fight left and the Mavericks you know if if LeBron goes to Chicago keep chasing that first title at least it's hard it's hard to you know it's hard to go back and rewrite history but I think the Bulls get at least one title I don't know if I can put out two or three for them no, I, I, I can I can see that. It makes sense. I with the, I like to play the hypothetical game, so I had to throw that in there a little bit. But I but I was actually listening to a couple podcasts and a couple interviews as far as um, different reports that came out about how oh he considered New York, but New York just was New York. They jacked that up. And then you talked about how, and then it, there was reports about how the Bulls were for sure. They thought they had Chris Bosh. And the original route was trying to get D Wade to come through because he's a Chicago kid, but end up they ended up end up thinking they could they could get at least D Wade and LeBron. And then Jerry Ryan, and then an article just came out I think today, either today or yesterday, um, by Rick Buecher that talked about how according to according to his research and reporting, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf was Jerry, and messed that up by telling LeBron he should have went back to Cleveland. Like I'm sitting here wondering like. How can we, as an organization, get to a point where okay, we can we can seal the deal, and then we just do the typical Bulls and just jack it up? Like it just never, I just never comprehend that. Even back then, it does not make sense as to why this type of situation happened. It hurt, it hurt my soul just to listen to the whole podcast, and then just listen to listen to how the Bulls were this close, literally this close, and. All of a sudden, voila, we, we lost it all. So it, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting to think about when you think about the anniversary of the decision. And even me, considering the fact that I actually remember what I was eating when I was watching that decision. <laughs> transitioning topic, though, let's transition it to the NBA and its bubble. Because outside of troubles already in paradise with the original bubble, now you're trying to add a second bubble. We'll get to the second bubble in a little bit. But the first bubble right now, there's been photos going around about how the WNBA has been mistreated as far as the quality of travel, the quality of their stays in these hotels. And 
Chris, we always talked about how the WBA doesn't always get the, the benefits of being professional athletes like the NBA always does. As someone that covers the WNBA and, and even has a podcast around the WNBA, go more in depth as far as the um, the unfortunate realities that WNBA players have to go through compared to the NBA and how the NBA, in your opinion, how you think the NBA can actually fix that? <laughs> the way to the way to fix this bubble situation is by not having a bubble, and by not having a bubble, I mean not playing. Can't we don't, we don't need to play right now. We don't need the sports right now. If they we can socially distance, like racing, Formula One, NASCAR, like golf has been doing with some success. Even golf, where you're not really together, has been having uh, players get sick and having to go into quarantine. If you imagine that for those sports, you're going to have people in close contact with each other 10 of 24 hours, maybe more hours a day. So on the WNBA side, Diamond Shields for the Chicago Sky, she's a vegetarian has not been able to get a vegetarian meal the last two days, i.e. he's not eating. He's not eating a regular meal. That's a professional athlete who burns way more calories than, you know, regular people like you and I do, right? Uh, Kayla Johnson's another player. Kia Stokes, I, be I believe, is on the New York Liberty. They both posted photos of um, pretty dreary conditions in, like, the hotel laundry room. It looked like a three-flat laundry room with the, with the dirty sink and the dirty floor. They were showing like there's a worm on the laundry room floor. Uh, players were flying commercial still. Um, you know, if you're over if you're over six foot one and you're flying commercial these days, it's a rough flight. You know, period. And then on the NBA side, Troy Daniels is posting a meal that looks like a YMCA summer daycare lunch. He's got the wrapped up fruit bas a fruit uh, cup like a, the the milk carton. This isn't it. This is not it, man. This is these are two professional sports leagues that work hand in hand and generate millions of dollars. Let me say it again. They generate millions of dollars on the NBA side, probably billions around the world. So why are we sending these folks in here to like a basically like a, a soft, like a soft cage just for our amusement? It's not worth it. It really isn't. Um, Elena Deladon just posted that she went into medical protocol and she is one of the best players bar none in the world but she's had to deal with Lyme disease her whole life and so regardless if she gets coronavirus at the most mild of symptoms I'm pretty sure that we've gotten to the point now it's irreparable lung damage so she won't be the player that she's been and that's an MVP 50 40 90 player why would you want to risk that for the future I don't get it it doesn't make sense I think I've been saying for months now since I talked to Ricky Hill, James and I did on our podcast. At that time back in March, I was hoping we could play. I don't think they should play. I don't think either league should be playing. No, that makes sense, Chris. That makes sense. I actually think uh, just from seeing those photos and those videos, I feel like I'm at like a like a rundown AAU tournament. Like <laughs> I feel like I'm at a rundown AAU tournament. Everybody's in all these all these random hotels. You barely get food. I'm looking at Troy Daniels, man. I'm saying like a grown man that's a professional athlete probably eats right. that for a snack. Like, that's not a legit meal. I'm, I'm not even a professional athlete, and I eat more than that. Like, <laughs> that should tell you that an athlete that burns that much calories on a daily basis should be able to be able to chow down that much more or double or triple just to even maintain the shape that mm -hmm. he needs to be in. So I, I'm, I'm baffled by it. I'm honestly kind of disappointed. And the fact that we even have to come to this reality, especially on the women's side, 
like that's really sad. And changes do need to be made. Uh, Drew, you want to uh, Drew comment on it on it if you would. Just uh, just one thing. So I heard there's like certain stipulations regarding any players who choose to partake in ping pong, like. The fact that you got certain rules and regulations regarding the game of ping pong, but yet these guys are going to be sweating, coughing, possibly bleeding on each other, uh, you know, throughout this whole duration of this bubble. Like, come on now, that, that in and of itself is just ridiculous. It kind of speaks to um, how this all feels kind of forced. And, man, I, I wrote about it. Like, just, just how it – it needs to be reconsidered, man. It's not going to be reconsidered, but I just I wish he would have. Speaking to uh, Chris's point about, you know, the the better way to go about this is not having it at all. No, I agree, and I even wrote an article uh, to talk about your point, Drew, which he killed that article, by the way. Y'all got to go check it out on WeAreRegalRadio.com. But I had to write an article too about the second bubble because this don't make no goddamn sense to me. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here like, bro. Okay, so you already got a bubble that's already not even close to 100% functionable. Now you're going to, and that's for the teams that are actually qualifying to win a championship. Now you got to try to put a second bubble in a city that we already, we just, we just now trying to really get down and stay level. Like, we're trying to survive out here too, man. You can't bring that over to the city when we're trying to just stay, we're just trying to stay alive. And, you, and, then, and within that second bubble, it's teams that, aren't qualified to make the playoffs. So you're going to give them like an early, what? An early NBA live tournament just in live action? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I, and I understand why, why they would. I mean, money talks. You're trying to get as much money as you can that you're, about to, that you're about to lose, especially since you then flaked out and messed up with that China deal. So I understand you got to get your money where you can. But at the same time, Bro, if you think the bubble ain't the original bubble ain't worth it, it don't, really don't make no sense why the second bubble don't is worth it. I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Man. Yes, you, man. We don't want to watch. If I'm afraid about watching playoff teams, if I'm afraid about watching the best, and no disrespect to these guys, they're professionals. They've proven themselves to be the top tier. But I'm not trying to watch the guys who aren't going to make the playoffs. What were those cats doing anyway? Those cats were tanking. Minnesota was tanking. The Bulls had no choice but to try and get as good of a draft pick as they could after the suspension. So why would you want those guys to risk their health doubly to play? It's like it would be like asking Zion, hey, man, come back to college. We can get a, ti- we can get a title this year. <laughs> nah, man, don't risk that bread. Don't risk your health. Don't risk your future. There's, and the, if the league forces this, like if they really force it, if they demand that these cats have to come back and play, the Players Association has to strike because that's, that's too much. That's outside the pocket. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I can sort of understand it just because of the fact that, I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets literally have nobody. They actually finally took the time to sign my boy Jamal Crawford. It's about goddamn time. I think that transition to the final part of this part one running with war uh, podcast. So Drew brought up a good point about how on e- on ESPN radio, Mike Golick, I guess, is apparently about to step uh, is about to be his final appearances on the on ESPN after like twenty some years, I think, or something like that. I have to go more in depth with those details later on. But as of right now, they brought up a scenario where for Chicago, if you'd rather have the D Rose that's unhurt, that never got hurt. Patrick Mahomes as a, as a Chicago Bear, or the big three: LeBron, LeBron James, D Wade, and Chris Bosh in a Bulls uniform. Which one would you rather have? Now, 
me, I'll go LeBron and D Wade and the Snapping Turtle and Chris Bosch. Sounds great. I'm going with the D Rose route because if D Rose never got hurt, who would have known what the future would have been for us? Who would have known if we would even be in this current position? Like, you just have to wonder if if D Rose was actually healthy, does Melo actually come to Chicago? Or if D Rose is fully healthy, could other free agents actually give Chicago a chance to look out? Because D Rose is already the youngest MVP in the league and had so much uprising for him. He was going to be a, he could have been on the road to a potential Hall of Fame. And he already is still technically. So if you really want to consider that, I think, D, I think the future would have been so much brighter for the Bulls, although. It would have been sort of unfortunate because you know the Bulls. We just had to get lucky on everything, and we l- luckily got the number one pick and made it and made it work with Derrick Rose at that time. But you just have to wonder. I just really believe that if D Rose was fully healthy, that would have took things to another level. So I, I like that. I like that uh, the prospect of, of of what could have been. But I have to go LeBron, Wade, Bosch because I know they're getting at least one. I, I, that's that's you know what I'm saying. It's damn near guaranteed. They get, they gonna bring home at least one or two championships rather than going with still quite an unknown with D Rose staying healthy. Um, the Mahomes one is that's that's enticing too. But I'm a basketball basketball guy at heart, so I gotta go with the big three man coming to Chicago. How you feel about it, Chris? It's tough because those are, I mean those are all good. I really wish D Rose had stayed healthy. Um, on everything, like losing Derrick Rose, you y'all remember the Adidas commercial? It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Everybody just felt deflated in the bar I was at, and it was. I wasn't even. I think the thought entered my mind very briefly. Like, come on, man, get up. He'll be all right. You know, he kind of walked off because I didn't really know about ACL injuries, even though I'd gotten hurt uh, in a slightly similar fashion a couple years before that. But it was. It was so deflating and it caused such a roller coaster of of drama the next couple of years. But it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say that. I think if if there's one thing that I could because that's so if I was just trying to pick something that's different. If the Bears beat the Packers the last game of the season in twenty ten to keep them out of the playoffs, or if they beat them in the NFC Championship to go to the Super Bowl, um, I think I would take that to change that because that was such a big moment for me. Um, And it really would have cemented things, I think, for that iteration of the Bears to at least get back to another Super Bowl. That would have been really nice. That Erlacher, Nance Briggs, Bears team, to get to at least one more Super Bowl and for Lovey to do it against the Packers, like to definitively beat them when it counted most, that would have been fantastic. It didn't happen, but I really would love to go back and change that. So I just like how Chris just created his own option out of the three. <laughs> he didn't even... <laughs> like, yeah, he his own He's like, these are nice, but this is the ultimate one that I want. Right. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a writing candidate, man. I, I, I don't follow rules. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. That being said, man, this is only part one. We got another part coming your way soon. So stay tuned for the second part of, run, of Running With War uh, coming your way.
it's it's this has been great discussion. Chris, where can they follow you on social media, man? I'm on Twitter at Quandary Kitten. That's K W A N D A R Y Kitten on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on an email. I'm I'm always free. If you want to hate, if you want to debate, whatever. My email cjpennant five at gmail.com. And they finally got me on Twitter or on, on Instagram. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, Jake Jake T W O and the number five. Jake two five on Instagram. It was about time, Chris. I'm I'm just glad you finally got on board. My <laughs> my guy. All right, Drew. Tell me where they can find you on social media. So y'all can find me at his mind on paper at both Twitter and IG. All right, everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at jhick042 and on Instagram at that guy Josh Hicks, because in reality, there's only one Josh Hicks. <laughs> that being said, man, check in, check in, check out weareregalradio.com site. We are throwing in some serious heat. Drew, my man, is throwing up some serious heat. I got some future heat coming your way. And Chris, it's just so special that he could just write whenever he wants and it's got to be a either way. So <laughs> he's, he's just that special of a guy. You're that special of a guy, Chris. I got to give you a special shout out for that. that we got being, some things coming. Don't doubt it. We got yes, some things sir. coming. Yes, sir. That being said, man, everybody stay tuned. And in the words of Kyle Means, keep bouncing because even though we even got Kyle coming back, Kyle's going to be coming back on the second part of Warm Media. And we all know that Kyle is just that super smooth type of guy. When it comes to him coming on the mic, don't, don't, we got a lot of good stuff coming your way. Don't miss it. Keep bouncing. They stay, stay cool. Till next time. Good night, fellas. All right, man. Orlando as well as campus and Pete before we move to New York. Um, and I know just in speaking with some family uh, before the NBA made the decision. Uh, just talking with some folks, just how careless many people were, whether it was not wearing masks, just acting as if things were normal. Um, and I'll just say, it's it's interesting for me as a person who, you know, I usually make a trip to, in the spring to Chicago to visit you guys and also to make a trip to Tampa and visit family. I find it so ironic that I actually took that Florida trip in the fall rather than taking it in the spring. And looking back on it, I'm glad I was able to see family because you know, we're boarding a house and then the house board. Um, specifically as it really relates to the NBA, um, it's very risky. You know, when you look at uh, when I have had discussions with uh, current players um, as well as um, players who are kind of like on that that, that that cusp where, you know, they, they've gotten calls uh, to potentially play, but, you know, they're figuring things out. I lot the Jamal Crawfords, the, the, the Larry Sanders, the Nate Robinsons of the world. You know, they're all in agreement just that it's, it's, it's well, I say that it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving and, and, and his friends are, are more along the lines of, you know, we're not playing, it's not safe. And you see Spencer Gendon, you know, testing positive, as well as DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, Kevin Durant already did and wasn't going. And then, you know, Avery Bradley and Kyrie were always on the same page, as, you know, I reported a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, as it relates to just player movement, you have some guys who are excited to go. You have some who don't want to go, and then you have some vets who are looking for opportunity that are trying to figure out what's next and should they go. Um, so I think there's a mixed bag, but as it relates to safety, um, to me, just the perception is that, that there's a bubble is no different than uh, President Trump saying, let's build a wall. The perception of a bubble um, has many connotations to it, but you know, there's a lot of safety measures. There's a 113-page memo 
that the NBA sent out as it relates to the safety of the bubble um, and, you know, people coming in and out as they please or not coming out. It's just a lot and a lot of stipulations that go into it. Um, and it's, it's I, I, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. Um, I was talking to a couple of my colleagues that are writers and, you know, the running joke is, are you going to the, to the bubble or not? Uh, Ian Bagley from SNY texted me today. He goes, are you going to the bubble? And I texted back in all capital letters. Hell no. He cracked up laughing. He said, you're a smart man. You know, even amongst talent and reporters, there's just this conversation of, you know, who's going or who's not. Um, I'm very concerned. And um, as I told Ian Bagley, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping. Cause I, yeah, I knew there was going to be some media down there, but I'm, I'm, I don't even know what type of uh, facilities are they willing to have for the media? Because I, so there's you a know. go ahead, gentlemen. There's a, there's a couple of options. Um, there's an option of where number one, there are some media corporations who are saying it's too much money uh, to be spending. Um, I've spoken to some colleagues who you know, have expressed that. Sure. Um, there is a there is there are three different options. There's one option where you can stay at a resort within. Um, so when you go to Disney World, have you all ever been? To, you guys have been to Disney World, right? Yeah, long time ago. Long time. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to assume that anybody has or has not. I just want to make sure. So I went before the racism was taboo. Okay, got you. So you take that boat. There's all the villas and stuff over there. Um, there's an option for media to stay within that island um, and stay at a hotel, and then there's like a media availability um, that they're that they're doing um, for like after games or before games or what have you, uh, of course, respecting the, the, the socially distant rules. Then there's, a, there's another option where media can stay off that area where the villas are, and they can just come and go or receive press releases or what have you. Or there's the third option where you can stay home. <clears throat> it's just that there's a lot of media requests and a lot of, a lot of media that I know are opting to stay home and just get on these Zoom calls. So a lot of posts that you're seeing on Twitter over the last day or so, Lakers, Sixers, um, uh, uh, some of the other teams, they're all on Zoom having these conversations. It's, it's a new phenomenon for a lot of people. Hey guys, you got anything you want to throw at Brandon off at the, off top here? I mean, I saw some of that. We uh, The WNBA put out their, their guidelines, and it's all uh, – teleconference, basically video conference for press conferences, interviews. So it's going to be, I wonder, I'm wondering what you think scoop on, I know you said that teams like that with international stars are having to field more requests. I'm wondering if things are going to be harder for media to get that access that they would normally have, or that they've, that they've traditionally had more, so to speak, when the teams have the option, even though it would be easier Nobody's in person. I think the anonymity, kind of at that distance, and and the internet, and going over going over wires, would make it easier for them to deny some stuff rather than grant access. What do you think? So I had a conversation with somebody at another team today who basically said they've been getting calls, and this is someone from a public relations department uh, with an NBA team that said to me, um, you know, they're getting requests from people that they hadn't heard of in five, three to five years. You know, that may be a radio person or who may be an update person at a radio station. When's the last time you've been in there at Seven Arena cover? All of a sudden, you have the comfortability of you sitting on the couch. You're able to get that access. They're, they're near denied. It's just like going through a credential process. 
uh, with the NBA. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming difficult for people in general, which is whether internationally, that's coming in middle. You know, for me, throughout this season, in Delphia, I've been to, I've been to enough games where, you know, I'm not a whole credential person. I would get single game credentials. Um, I'm in and out of silly enough, like, you know, I can put the full web. The person who is maybe covering a certain team, being on the regular gets uh, preferential treatment when it comes to asking questions. Like you have to push a button, and then the PR department can decide whether or not they're going to grant somebody a question. So if it's a popular person, I think it's like Ben Simmons or like you know, Joel and Dean, you know, they're going to get preferential to you know, NBC Sports Philadelphia or you know, uh, uh, the Philadelphia Flyer Tedger. So it's new territory for a lot of these teams, you know, cross referencing with the league as well. Talking about staying <laughs> <laughs> But now, you highlighted a, a little bit on the fact that about the Lakers and the 76ers and how you talked to both those teams. Um, a big topic, obviously, recently, is then, you know, LeBron, Sandy Star, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, superstars like that, that you never really heard too much um, disagreement, per se, about the coming. To the bubble and playing for the for the you know for the championship. So, have you heard from any reserve players on those teams that are that play specific roles that play a significant um what's the term I'm thinking of like a significant presence on on the team like the Avery Bradley that has took himself out of the out of the bubble. Like, have you heard from any other reserves from any of those top tier teams that? They may avoid some of those similar opinions outside of just the stars themselves. Yeah, and I think a good place to start was that conference call uh, with, the, uh, with the vice president of the, of the Players Association, Chris Paul. Um, and you know, there are multiple vice presidents, Kyrie Irving, the other being one of them. And uh, I spoke to about three or four different people who were on that conference call, uh, and there were a lot of people that were playing. Or that are teams that come to the bubble that you know have excuse me um, have reservations about playing and they're scared to voice their opinion because they don't want to upset their peers who may want to go. So like, when you look at that conference call, you know, Carmelo Anthony uh, has been very apprehensive about not wanting to play, you know, but then the conversation sort of confines of uh, that call. Um, guys like John Moran. Uh, has been, been uh, vocal about it on the conference call. You know, Kyrie Irving, uh, who's not a reserve, who's considered an all-star, you know, has been very vocal on and off the call uh, about not wanting to play. And um, I, I can tell you that on that conference call, a lot of guys were in and had a lot of grievances about how we come about it to the point that if Chris Paul was on the line and basically said, guys, don't say everything you feel because there might not you, you don't know everybody that's on the zone when it's on the conference call. So, you know, it, it's interesting because um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's in corporate that has a no feeling um, basketball sports. They were in the traveling industry, and they thought that one of the problems that they're having is that you don't know who is who on the conference call because particularly if you're doing Zoom, you don't, if the person's name is not identified, you may see a phone number, and you don't know who the hell is on that call. <laughs> Like you look at a situation like with the conference call that the Players Association had, there were a few members of the media on that call, and literally minutes after their conversation, 
Hakeem tweeted in his angling towards Kyrie. But to be honest with you, Avery Bradley was as vocal as maybe Dwight Howard and some of the WNBA players that were there. So mm. it's just a lot of just back and forth of, of just how people feel. I think I answered the question. It varies from star to reserve. Who knows what about what thing? And, and, and Bradley, the large, the most, the biggest reason why he's staying essentially is because of his child, right? Or am I mixing him up with another guy? No, he, he said that his uh, his son had respiratory right, issues, right. so he right. didn't want us to check into that. So what? First up, first speak speak about speak more about the role that he played in that call, Scoop, and what what did you take away from that? He so was he really vocal, and you know he was vocal um, and had some of the same concerns about civil rights, and I, this was with the lost in translation. As much as it's about COVID nineteen. Uh, it's also about attention um, to civil rights and lack thereof. Okay. Uh, George Floyd, Rihanna Taylor, Moore. Uh, and Avery Bradley's position is similar to, to Kyrie Irving's position as it relates to the minute you start playing, the attention is going to be taken away from the, the civil rights issues, kind of like in the sense of, you know, that's your job. You may have some of your co-workers who aren't white, or excuse me, who aren't black, texting you, texting you, emailing you, all of condolences. Their position is, this is the time to get certain reformations and things that you're looking for, and then as a public figure, have the responsibility uh, to raise that level of awareness in similar ways that, you know, Bill Russell and Kareem Bruce and those other people to get themselves. But, and so Avery Bradley and Kyrie are both on board in that regard. Okay, and it's I'm, just that Avery's position is look more presentable because you know, a lot of times you look at it as the world is black and all that other stuff that's been said in the past. And, and I, I want to get into Kyrie in a minute, but I, we talked about a lot about that whole dichotomy, that whole the way that the, that the discussion has been framed, in in regards to whether or not the guy should go back to playing or not. We talked about that last week, uh, me, Josh, and, and Chris, and I think. We all felt sort of different ways. Primarily, I felt that the distraction point is 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 valid, but it's not valid because I think I think for what's important to me is that as a society, as a as a larger community, we don't get off track. That's definitely important. Whether or not the players get off track. It's, I think it's something that's up to those guys as individuals because they're they're more of a you know they they're, they're more of a specific group than black right. people in general. Black people in general have many different things that we want. There's some there's some essential things that we want, like not getting killed by police. But you can you can go to ten different black people and get ten different opinions about how we should go about that. The NBA can unify in some way because only about three hundred guys. So, to that degree, the way these things that they are looking to enact, these reformations, as you say, are they more towards the general outside basketball stuff, or is it, or is it mostly keeping to what they can affect within their own industry of pro sports and basketball? I think it has a lot to do with society 
um, at large. So they have the large scope view. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, a colleague of mine recently sat down with uh, Ben Wallace, uh, my colleague, Nicole Nelson, over at Fox Sports. And he was on her show and talked about how a lot of these players are a lot smarter um, than they were, you know, during his era of you know, 2000s and 90s. But my interesting is, you know, that whole conversation about, um, you know, ownership um, and owning team that was you know topic for dialogue with the Nets group chat. Um it kinda a lot of this conversation is going over a lot of people's heads kind of redirects the whole shut up and dribble conversation. Because if you're just seen as cattle or you're just seen as a person that produces entertainment, you can't really have this conversation at eye level. Okay. Okay. And now going going into Kyrie, before I let, I let the other guy jump in in a second, but I'm interested because you know I know you have a, a relationship with Kyrie, and uh, you know you know things about him that other people don't. So I want to get your thoughts on this this moment. We've we've had different moments with Kyrie, mostly as a player in that context, but this is the t- this is like the first time where he had to step up as a leader because he. He just got elected to being vice president of the union. So this was this was a moment where as an authoritative figure, he he stepped he stepped up and he he put his foot down in some ways and he made himself he made his opinion be known. And we know that as a player, his role as a leader has varied in some in 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 some ways, you know, depending on the teams that he's been on and stuff like that. But I, I want to get your thoughts, you know. Before we go into the competitive stuff with this with this bubble, and you know what what do you think about Kyrie as a leader right now and potentially going forward, and what do you think that that call and this whole discussion this whole discussion about coming back and what is what it means to the players, what is it you know his role in it, what do you think is said about him as a leader potentially in that union going forward? Well, I think what gets lost in translation specifically is the fact that um, he is the vice president and an advocate um, for a lot of other players who have voice or face in him. John Morant is going to feel comfortable, or the John Williamson's are going to feel comfortable, you know, pulling you inside and letting you know how they feel. But I think, unfortunately, Kyrie, the vice president, and Kyrie, the player on the court, and this, this or uh, relationships that he's had, particularly with people on the Celtics and with LeBron James during the time with the Cleveland Cavaliers, is getting all grouped in one. Mm. Um, just like I think it's interesting that you know the other day, or yesterday, I had tweeted this article or wrote this article about how this webcam porn site is offering free services. Yeah, want to get into that too. Yeah, go go ahead. So we'll get into that. But basically, um, you look at the comments, people are like, man, James Harden would really jump at that. Like, people are basing, they're basing what they see on court as what people are in other roles. And I think that's natural if you don't really know somebody. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I know Kai and I know his friends on a, on a you know, that, that professional friendship line blurred. But 
at the same time, I think the issue with Kyrie is many people don't know him. Yeah. As it, particularly as it relates to media. As it relates to media, off top, I only really know two people from, from my perception. I could be wrong, but from my perception, that really know him and lets him in as much. And I'm one of them. So one other person, and the one other person who, who talked to him during this whole situation, um, he kind of kept him at bay. And probably disrupted because of it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I'd say my last thing about Kyrie is that I think you, you definitely are right that people don't know him. And that's a lot. You know, he, he's he controls that in a lot of ways, too. But I think also it's it's unfortunate. And this is unfortunate. He doesn't necessarily control this all himself as well. But some of the stuff that people have gotten from him is it's not the best representation. Like the stuff about the flat earth mm-hmm. and everything, and you know, he said he said some things, whether he said them in jest or or not. You know, he said some things that have caused people to judge him very, you know, very quickly and and you know, subs and uh, definitively. And I think you know, like he's still a young guy, and he's still a guy who's gonna, I think, gonna mature into this role as a leader. Because I remember. I think you were the first person who told me about him being becoming VP, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know if that was, was going to be. He was elected to a while. I was with you guys in Chicago, February. Right? Yeah. February. Right. We was hanging out that weekend, and I was like, "What?" I was just thinking, like, I don't know about that, but you know, if if, if it's something that he wanted, I, I I could see it being a platform for him personally where he can make. You know, make a statement and and change a lot of the perception that people have had about him. You know, and previously. Well, this is what I tell you. Um, he is his father's child. Um, very true. His father comes from a financial background. If I'm not mistaken, as a Wall Street broker, um, he is a walking miracle. Um, in the sense of, you know, came out of the Mitchell House is one of the toughest housing projects in New York City, in okay. South Bronx. Um, and very guarded like his father. Um, I will tell you that Jeddard Irving is, the, the, the advantages that I've had in dealing with them is locality and taking trips to Cleveland. To the point that on, on trips back, we're on the same plane headed back home. And you're like, what you doing here? What you doing here? Hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, they're very guarded and very funny people. Like, so, what I'll add is, you know, from the perspective of business, you know, I, I believe that you, if you're able to run your own company, you, you pretty, do a pretty good job of being vice president of the Players Association. Uh, when you look at Kyrie, he, he comes with his friends, uh, and employs a lot of um, his friends. So when I'm saying intellectual property on Twitter, I'm actually referring to Hermetic Friends. It's uh, <laughs> got a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, and, and what I'll say is, you know, managing people um, is, is important. And I think that, you know, moving forward, I think the Nets and Kyrie are, are getting ready to turn a page, you know, starting next season. I think this year with the test run, um, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, after they put under their head. Um, 
this, this coming next season. I think this season is a wash. Well, I, I think we're all thirsting to see what him and, and KD are going to do together. So that's that's definitely going to be one of the big storylines of, of the 2021 season. But um, uh, Josh, Chris, anything anything more you want to throw at school before we get to uh, breaking down the competitive uh, layout of these games? It, it actually interested me, Scoop, when you were talking about that press conference or the the, um, the phone conference that the Players Association was having because it, it, it's kind of difficult to think of it as a union in the traditional sense. For me, at least, I, I don't think about that as much. When we think about basketball, we don't think about union day-to-day activities as much, right, unless the CBA is about to expire. That's what we really think about it. So it was interesting for me to hear that, how um, how they, basically it's union members expressing their support or apprehension at a direction which the whole union basically had to be united on. So I'm I'm wondering in that in that context, just on on if you could shed more light on on the union activities and how. How it relates to like so you say Chris Paul. I was I honestly had this vision of Chris Paul like baking cookies when he was trying to be elected for vice president or something like that. You know something silly. But how does that structure work? How do these players who get elected into these positions how do they get together and then you know kind of try to affect the rank and file union leadership because there's obviously very real concerns players. So how does the union bring come together as one, and where who who drives that? What are the who are the players that drive that? The easiest way that I could kind of break it down for you guys is on a, on a, on a uh, tertiary tertiary level. I think that's the word I'm, that would be appropriate. Appropriate in this situation is if you look at NABK, the National Association of Black Journalists, like you know you have particularly in the sports task force. I know Powell's part of it. The local chapters, which we have other local chapters in New York, but it's also to have We've gone to a couple of those meetings. You may have somebody who's talent on TV or like radio who may be, you know, like president. Like, you know, Chris Haynes of, of Yahoo Sports, he holds a role within the sports task force. My experience is the former, you know, president of the, the, the sports task force. Yeah. You know, so you have different people. Yeah, they're who they are on TV, but they still may have a role within a union. You know, comparatively in the NBA, you have the same thing. Even with the, you know the, the public relations departments in the NBA, uh, as I told you before, I, I spoke to a couple of PR vice presidents today about certain logistics that I'm learning and I'm being educated about on the fly. Um, and what I'll tell you is, you know, even within PR people, you know, there's certain roles. Somebody in Dallas may be the president of something, and somebody in Philly may be president of something. Somebody in San Antonio may be president of something. There's so many other breakdowns. We're just not familiar with, and that's okay. Um, as it relates to the Players Association, um, you know, Paul was very instrumental in the CBA um, that happened, um, the last agreement that I think runs through 2023 or 2024. Uh, what I'll tell you is, um, him being instrumental in it, is the why he's got a lot of money uh, remaining on his current contract and why he's so hard to trade. As I was reporting last summer, you know, once he was traded to uh, Oklahoma, Miami was on the phone, and uh, you know they were there. But you know the contract part, and you know who Miami was going to give up. You know uh, Oklahoma was very strong. Oklahoma Tyler Hero, 
what I can tell you is it relates specifically to your question about involvement. That you guys have to listen to what people who are the constituents have to say. And I think what's interesting about Kyrie and Paul is that Paul represents Daisy, Brown, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade. And so those contracts benefited them. And when you look at Kyrie and, and who's the next generation of guys who look up to him, they have some concerns about financials and things of that sort too. One of the things that is interesting about is where we are and whether the players decided whether they wanted to stay or go, meaning whether the bubble was going to happen or not. You know, but the topic of force majeure, which you know basically means that there was a certain time period in which players and uh, the, the owners gave up whether a season was going to resume or you know what happened. So if the players did not resume the season this year, the system of the current collective bargaining agreement could be restructured and likely will still be restructured with them playing because of the uh, salary cap, which was already expected to drop because of China business. And now because of the pandemic, with less money coming in and, you know, they say we're not officially in a recession, but, you know, at the end of the day, as we keep moving forward, that's going to affect us. So the roles of the vice president and the president of the, the Players Association is to voice concerns and have a force of action. They're more than just dribbling basketballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think we talked a little bit about that, too, last week. And it, it's, you know, it seemed like the stakes were pretty potentially could be pretty high, but you no, know, as it is then that's not really an issue as it is right now, but it may be something that still, you know, scoops say they still could look back at that CBA, whatever. And, and it may be some, an issue that you want to look at going forward, especially because you're talking about a year where so much less television money is coming in so much less money from the stadiums are coming in and the owners, you know, with, I, 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 ne- I never get why the general public so often goes on the owner's side. I, I could guess a couple of reasons when it comes to owner player, uh, it, you know, fracks, uh, you know, when owners and players get at it, I think the owners get a lot more of the, of the, uh, people's side that they should, a lot more of the, uh, you know, reasonable doubt that they should, but, uh, but the owners could very well come back and be like, look, we need some more cash. <clears throat> we got this 50, 50 split here in the CBA. We may need, uh, be a 51, 49 or 50, you know, you, you know, pe- with people get rich cause they could, they could talk that slick talk. So, uh, you know, you got to watch out for that going forward. But, um, let's, let's talk about, let's, let's keep it on the court. Let's, yeah. Talk, uh, uh, Scoot, you got something you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to say, as it related to the to the bubble, what I'll add is, you know, part of the reason why this is preseason, so to speak, before the playoffs start, is because in order for the TV money to take effect, um, you have to have played at least seventy games. That's the contractual agreement. Of course, in NBA two games. So in order for the NBA to get you to recoup that money. They gotta play at least seven games, and I'll add. Um, and that's why it's eight games. They did not resume their season. 
Josh, we'll go back to you in a second and, and talk about the 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 battle for the eighth seed in the West, which is something that you got into in the post as well. But Scoop, uh, I want you to speak a little bit on on Jr. Man, you you've been on that story for a minute, and um, you know it, it winds up happening. He gets signed this week, and um, you know I just want to get your thoughts. You know you've you covered Jr. for a minute. You, you know know him. You know him playing with. Cleveland and uh you know playing with LeBron and Cleveland now he's back with him in LA he's you know gonna add to that backcourt which needs some more depth at this point you know given that they're not gonna play with Bradley uh you know that's probably the main person he's gonna be replacing so you know what are your thoughts on JR after this layoff about two years like Josh said you know being put in the mix for this championship race Well, I think Josh hit it home when he talked about the young teams uh, that are going to surprise some people if you look at the Memphis Grizzlies of the world. Um, but to answer your question about J.R. Smith, the only thing that I can think of, and it's not a clear comparison, I look at football, look at the layoff that Michael Vick had for two years. Look at how he came out energetic for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, put on some performances. I can think about that game against the Washington Redskins that he put on the show. Passion is the strong. It is the shape McCoy and more. It's unstoppable. Um, so when you look at uh, Chris Chicken said, tells me everything I need to know. Uh, so when you look at J.R. Smith, I just tweeted this. Um, I said, J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters together in the third quarter for the Lakers is the Lou Williams Clippers equivalent. Hmm. Okay. Be pretty dangerous. It could be pretty um, dangerous. I think that at the end of the day, when you look at the Lakers right before um, we shut down for the pandemic, the Lakers were clicking on cylinders when they got the Morris twin, uh, when they signed Dion and he hadn't played yet. So, you know, adding J.R. Smith, who's been working out, who's been in L.A. for a long time. He's been in L.A. since the beginning of the year. Um, you know, they are spent a bit to make her. I think this is um, time to shine and just shut a lot of people up. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but, um, if, I, if I can ask, Scoop, go ahead, how Chris. much does chemistry play a part when you only have eight games of kind of a, a training uh, training period for JR then going into the playoffs? Is JR just going to fit right in, or is it going to take some time to integrate him in? I think you, you, uh, any guy who shoots 33% in his career as an asset, uh, so the 33% from three, uh, is an asset. And the thing about it is, um, JR is not a stranger. If you look at the Lakers team, you know, he's a clutch guy. Anthony Davis is a clutch guy. LeBron is a clutch guy. Phil Handy, you know, was the coach with the Lakers, uh, was an assistant coach with the Cavs of 2016 when, when Jr. and LeBron were teammates. Um, you know, I can tell you Jr. and Phil have worked out together uh, out in LA. I can tell you that um, you know one of the good things that the Lakers have in, in their in their uh, our players in the Lakers basketball too throughout the season and during the pandemic with their group text. You know, those guys are communicating. You know, throughout the whole pandemic, like that's a topic of conversation that I have with many guys. On the record, as well, on the record, this Lakers is just what the group text is like, and I and I take it back to Contagious Caldwell Pope telling me back in January that when he was in that slump in November and October, uh, 
guys were really just keeping him motivated. And I think that, you know, if there's an issue with, with gelling, I'm sure that they're figuring that KCP is also another clutch uh, client as well. So, you know, I, I just think at the end of the day, it's going to take some time. You know, it took a little while for, for, for them to gel at the beginning of the season, despite the fact that they're 29 and 14 in first place in the NBA's Western Conference. Okay. And we, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, Scoop, you mentioned the youth of the of Memphis in particular. It looks like we're dealing with in the West, at the bottom of the West, a lot of a lot of youth, a lot of energy, energetic, exciting potential in that in, in that conference. And uh, yeah, just wanted to see, uh, you know, get your thoughts on, you know, Josh, you can start it off with your post, you know, what you were talking about with the the Western Conference, uh, you know, the fight there. Yeah, the Western Conference is going to be uh, that, that bottom A seed. I think after Dallas, you have teams separated by no more than three games. And after that A seed with the Grizzlies, it's like one game each. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be very interesting to fight for that. I think eventually, though, what goes down is you have to have a combination of youth and talent, uh, which is why the Grizzlies are in the prime position that they are in because of the fact that they surprised so many teams this year with the leadership of John Moran. And, and the sidekick, Jaron Jackson, they've really surprised their growth and maturity as they've gone throughout the season and were pretty much on, really on the verge of really solely taking that HC heading to the end of the season. But, but the fact that this pandemic really helped Portland because now you got a healthy Damian Lillard, you got a healthy uh, Melo, and you got Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside coming back. So, and Collins. And Collins, right. So you have so Portland, with the fact that they're the veteran leadership that they have, and yet the high talent that they have within their roster, it's hard to it's hard to be coming off that lineup and facing a, a tough lineup with Melo, McCollum, and Damian Lillard as your backcourt, and you got two two defensive players with Hassan Whiteside and. And um, Nurkic coming back too. It's going to be that's tough to beat. That's the, tough to beat. The thing that's going to be difficult for Portland though is the fact that Trevor Ariza is out, and that was supposed to be your defensive stopper over LeBron. And so when you look at that 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 lineup, um, I'm a little concerned. You look at the rest of their roster. Like when you look at the Lakers, they have depth. When you look at the Blazers, some of the guys on their roster, Gary Trick Jr., who I think is a great shooter, Mario Heronzoni, I watched him play with the Knicks. He's a, he's a great shooter. Um, you know, you have Anthony Simmons. You have Rodney Hood. Is Rodney Hood going to play? That's my other question. He tore his Achilles. He heard it against the Lakers. I think that on paper, the Blazers look good. You actually spoke with CJ McCollum, uh, Josh, a few months ago. What vibe did you get? From uh, CJ, uh, when you guys spoke about, of course, this was pre-pandemic, but just how the Blazers could, could kind of get it together. Because when you think about it, there's about a three, three and a half game difference between eighth and eleventh in the Western Conference. What vibe did you get from McCollum just about the Blazers at, at large? He was very confident, but he but he stressly highlighted the fact that he has to be that go-to guy when Damian Lillard's not on the court. Um, at that time, Damian Lillard. He had his groin injury. I want to say it was a groin or a hamstring that kept him out of All Star, you know, All Star Weekend and going into the second half of the season. So 
during that stretch before this pandemic hit, they was C three was preparing to be that the, the top alpha on the court. Mm-hmm. And he really stressed the fact that now he has to step up and not and the fact that he was comfortable taking that role, especially with the fact that you also had Carmelo Anthony at that time, who was really coming into his old self. So from the jump. From the jump. Straight, straight knocked the twenty game off the jump. So he was so he was confident. He was confident that even with Damian Lillard out, even though he knows that Damian Lillard is the engine that keeps this thing going, he knows that he has to now take over the steering wheel. And when he was taking that, and with them taking that steering wheel, he was very comfortable with Carmelo Anthony being in that passenger seat, saying, "It's a wrap. We finna gun it." And they was ready to make that, and they, and they was ready and confident to make that push. So the fact that you already have that confidence, and you know the capabilities of what each of those players have to bring to the table, now you bring in. Your, your lead guy, again, who is the engine that really pushes this, pushing not pushing that team, you can't help but, even though, like you mentioned, the, the bench is really thin, you still can't count Portland out. It's, 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 tough, it's tough to do. I agree. I think the Memphis part to me is fascinating. Um, I spent some time with the Grizzlies in February. Uh, I spent some time with Jamie Jackson Jr., um, John Moran and uh, Josh Jackson, the guy who I've had on this group of radio podcasts uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Josh uh, is considered the vet on that team. Uh, there's a few other guys that are on that team that are a little bit older, but they're, they're, uh, Kyle Anderson is a vet on that team, too. You know, having some time with the Spurs uh, at large. But uh, I, I'm really fascinated just with the level-headedness of that team, particularly Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, who was that, you know, former Spur, Darren Jackson, uh, played on that 99-2000 championship team uh, with Tim Duncan, Avery Johnson, and, and, and uh, Avery Robinson. But um, I, I like that team. I like their poise. I like their head coach. Um, but I do think that it would be a different conversation had Portland not started out hurt. I mean, this is a team that was a Western Conference championship appearance uh, or they played in the Western Conference against the, the, the Golden State Warriors, uh, and, and, and you know they invested a lot of money into both CJ and Damian Lillard. And uh, I, I like them. Um, I want to see them do well, but I am kind of intrigued by New Orleans as well. Mm-hmm. It just I was looking at the numbers because I haven't. I didn't invest as much time into this season as y'all had, but it was really interesting to me that the Grizzlies ended 2019, 13 and 21, and they finished January two games over 500. So yeah. they were 10 over that whole month. And for a, a team, as you said, as young as it is, like Jonas Valanciunas, I think has the most regular playing time in terms of experience. And he's only a seven year vet for a team to turn it around that quick and get those parts to mesh is really intriguing for sure. Louis and Rodney Hood hurt Portland, but even when they had them last year, you know, they gave up those three fourth-quarter leads to the Warriors in, in three straight games, and they didn't really bring anything else to the table other than, like you said, Trevor Ariza. And at this point, you know, as much as I I want to be clear to everybody who's watching, I respect LeBron so much for what he does off the court, and I know he's a great basketball player, but I'm, I'm beholden to hate him on the court. You're not going to stop him. You're only going to slow him down. And they, I, I looked up there and down their roster. I don't see anybody who can slow him down even right now. 
so that's that's looking like a four and out again for the Blazers. And like you said, I love the Blazers. I love Dame. I love CJ since Lehigh beat Duke in his uh, in his college season. But they, they, they might need to shake up. The, this is a future conversation. They might really need to shake up the roster if they want to get beyond the level of contender in the championship. You're talking about the Blazers? The, the Blazers. I, I, don't, I think they might have gone as far as they can go. Charles Barkley was singing their praises uh, last, last season. One of the advantages that they had uh, was that they had uh, Inez Cantor, who was carrying them in the regular season. Um, and I feel like the nervous injury, it may have been a different conversation in the playoffs, especially in the conference. And when you, I still am of the belief that if you're a good team with good guns, you still have to get talented bigs. Um, and I'm, I'm with an article, and, you know, I think Johnny Bowen's seen this back in February. Uh, and he was just talking about, Jaron and, and Ja Morant's IQ, and I told him that I thought it was crazy that he's considered a vet, and I told him I remember playing with you on NBA 2K, and I was in grad school, and then here you are, and you're like the vet, but he's still like very young. And one of the things that Jonas said to me uh, was, you know, Jaron and Ja are some great young guys. They're working, their work ethic, they're working hard, their work ethic is good, and here every night shooting, but in their skills better. I don't know what to say. I've been asked so many times about Ja, and I said he's a phenomenal young gentleman, which is good. And it's crazy because I've spoken to some of his teammates, and they can't decide what they remind him of Derek Rose or Daniel Lillard. Mm-hmm. And for him to be so young and to be so effective and to have the praise and respect that he has, that he gets, sky's the limit. I think a lot of these younger guys are fearless. But when you talked about January, they were very subpar in January, and I feel like they came to play again in February, particularly in that game against the Lakers. And if I'm not mistaken, that game against the Lakers with the technicality because it was the second game on a back-to-back in February. You know, it was the national game on Saturday night. Hmm. Okay. All right, before we go go off in the, off the West, and I want to do some talk about the East before we wrap up. But uh, if, if you had to pick a t- if you had to pick an ideal team, not necessarily for competitive. None of us live on the West Coast. Right, but not you know for whatever you, however you want to measure it up, you know competitively, or um, you know just for fun's sake, who would who would the be who would be the team that you would want to put in that eighth spot to face the Lakers in the first round? In the East? No, nah, the, the the West team. Who who would you want to see essence? Who would you most want to see essentially win that eight spot in the eight, in the West? Portland and New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for kind of obvious reasons, there for for Portland probably has the best well-rounded team, and then who doesn't want to see Zion and LeBron in a postseason? And, you know, that'll do a lot to, to heat up that postseason if we uh, – uh, The NBA wants to see it. You know, they, yeah, they definitely want to see it. But, Chris, Josh, what, what about y'all? Who, who, would, who would 
you know, make who will get you most charged up to see no, make it out of that eight in that eight spot. Even though they're eight games up, I would be really interested to see if somehow the Mavericks fell to the eighth spot, how Rick Carlisle's defensive IQ mm. would work on containing Davis and James, especially when you consider what they have on the offensive end with rejuvenated Tim Hardaway, uh, Luca, Kristaps. Uh, that, that's a very well-rounded team that could make it to the third round at the very least. But I don't, I don't see them moving down to the eighth spot, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Memphis. I, like I said, I didn't invest as much time, but the times I saw Memphis play, it's kind of a combination of that grit and grindhouse uh, teams from the early 2000s, and just the they're gonna go with Ja. They're gonna follow with Ja, and trust in Ja. It's a lot of fun to see. So I I think they could at least stretch them out. They could they'll make the Lakers work for their wins at the very least. Okay. Okay. Josh, what, you got a pick right quick? I mean, it will be either New Orleans or the Trailblazers. Like, yeah, it will be either the, uh, the Pelicans or the Trailblazers. But for me, I ideally would want the Pelicans just because of the fact that with Zion being the, at the forefront of all this, um, you, wonder, you wonder if this could be a potential moment where – with the I want to see how much growth the former Laker young core in New Orleans actually had, and see how it compared to the new look Lakers. Because obviously, uh, at one point in time, the Lakers were actually a top four seed in the West before LeBron got hurt last year, and that's with the young core that's in New Orleans. So you wonder if, based off of that experience, and now playing different scenery in New Orleans. If they actually, if they if a lot of growth and maturity, but then that, especially for Brandon, he just became an all star this year. Um, I want to see how his 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 growth, along with Michael Ball, Josh Hart, and those guys, comparing that with an already impressive Zion Williamson, matched up against actually team in LA with LeBron and AD. I just really want to see how that matchup really goes out, especially over a second game series, considering the fact that much older. And the public is much younger. So you got younger friends against an aging veteran team that's still one of the top talented teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We got to switch up uh, for a second here because uh, Chris uh, apparently has to step out. But thanks for thanks for making time with us, man. I know you was recording your Skyhook podcast as well today. So, you know, thanks for making time and, uh, you know, being able to join join us and make it a four-man, you know, four-man setting here. But we're going to get into the three-man weave right here as Chris steps out. And uh, we're just going to do a, just some, do some a little talk on the East, and then we'll, then we'll sign off from YouTube, and uh, that'll be it. But, uh, yeah, thanks again, Chris, man. We'll get up again next week and do some more talking uh, about the whole, uh, you know, get, do some more bubble talk and – I think we will we'll preview as we get closer to the start of the games. We'll do some more in depth preview and talking about the contenders and stuff. But I think, uh, you know, I think we'll just want to end this session with a throw a few bars at the East and 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 the uh, the lower teams in the East. And I think we'll get back to the talk 
scoop uh, with the Nets, who I know you know pretty well. And, you know, you look at that lower part, that lower half of the East, you also have Orlando, which is the so-called home team for this whole setup. No, they're going to be involved. And you also have the, the lone team that's outside the playoffs currently in the East that's been invited was the Wizards. And, you know, they're they're gonna have to do some work to get in to get into that top eight and over and overcome yeah, maybe the Orlando or you know uh or New Jersey oh excuse me, Brooklyn. <laughs> but uh yeah, but you know, school start us off with that. But what do you think about those those three teams and or any other teams that are, are interesting to you in the East as as they begin preparing for this bubble play? I like the Orlando Magic. Uh, yeah. be told. Um, I, I was out in Orlando. I checked out some some couple of preseason games uh, back in October um, at, at Amway Center. And uh, the thing that I've watched from October to March has been the confidence level, uh, particularly as it relates to Marco Folk. I had a previous season last year and uh, had found a way. Uh, to get into a rhythm, and then you're not with you, one of the guys in that situation, next to Eric Gordon. And, uh, you know, they're not a fluke by accident. Um, when you look at the Washington Wizards, uh, injuries have decimated them throughout the course of the season. John Wall um, has been hurt, and, you know, there was conversation about whether he'd come back, but Bradley Gill, constant trade talks as it relates to the Brooklyn Nets, has a chance to kind of showcase himself to a more of a national audience or from a business perspective, it's great. But from a perspective of actually winning, um, you know, I think Orlando was in a pretty good position. But I think with the injuries and, 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 and those who are not showing up with Brooklyn, um, you know, that, that seventh seed is pretty sneaky. I mean, you're talking about a Brooklyn team that at one point was a third or fourth seed all the way down to seven. You're looking at an Orlando team who I think could actually move up. Um, when you look at the 76ers, they're 16. Further up, you the goals of them. I'm all in Because then you wouldn't have to play you know, one seed in the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Uh, but I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are a typical one seed. I do think that when you look at some um, NBA Eastern Conference, though, I think that the Boston Celtics and their chemistry and their general uh, work at the Vice I wrote a story today over at Eddie.com uh, just discussing Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Okay. Yeah, Josh, Josh, who are you looking at in the East who who interests you uh you know as we prepare for these games? I mean, for me, um, I'm actually looking at the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Raptors have been very steady throughout this Eastern Conference and then even shown signs of improvement, even on top of last year's performances. Um, and Fleet has taken has taken an extra step. Yeah, Askar Siakam, who was the most improved player of the year last year, pretty much took another role to make another case for winning the game award again. Which is the main. Uh, 
Raptors themselves and their system as a whole has really kept them afloat as a top two team, top two, top three, top three teams. That I've got to pay attention to that. But at the same time, I'm really holding on to Boston Celtics because there's a difference between playing in a system all season long and then playing a broken like this and potentially having guys that are sometimes just specifically supported. The Boston Celtics have so much offensive talent, and a lot of it is based on people that can their own shots from any position under And that type of style of play becomes beneficial for short games like this because right on the constantly rehearse our offensive system. Sometimes when the offense breaks down, you need to have someone that can actually go get you a book them at any point in the game. And sometimes you got to go to a pickup basketball type style offense. You have four guys on the Boston Celtics team that can do that with Jason Tatum, Jason Brown, Amber Walker, and Gordon Hayward. So because of that, and the fact that they're also young, it can really sneak up on some teams and really take over that take over that that, um, that championship run, especially against the Bucks, who's shown the freak when it comes to time moments in the Eastern Final. So you, Boston Celtics got a nice. Okay. Yeah, a lot of interesting things uh, on the horizon, and uh, you know we got to see how this next couple of weeks play out. If if there'll be any more issues with players, or maybe even coaches who may not be able to make the trip, or you know maybe some might choose not to make the trip to Orlando. Others may be kept from it. We'll see, but uh, definitely going to be a lot of uh, interesting competition, and we got to see how these teams are going to adjust. And um, you know, we'll we'll come back with more, uh, you know, more pre-bubble talk leading up to these games week after week. We'll try to hit you with at least one session each week. But uh, thanks, Scoop man, for joining us for this one. And um, you know, we still got more to do with Brandon and Josh. We're gonna we're gonna do a session off camera but oh no you know always you know what it is man but uh we're gonna do a session off youtube uh, uh for the uh the endoscope podcast you know you can hit but you will hear brandon on that as well with josh and that'll be coming uh that'll be released before the end of the week and this running with war will be released probably early next week we're gonna have some more stuff we're gonna add to this episode but uh you'll get to hear all of this no, much, much of this, not all of it, on the next uh, Runner with War, which will be coming up soon. But uh, thank you all for watching. If you're watching live or in the future, we appreciate you. The website on the bottom of the screen, weareregalradio.com. You check everything out with us, whether it is our writing, our podcasting, links to our, our podcasting, and uh, links to our YouTube uh, coming out. You know, and uh, definitely check Scoop out. Brandon, I'll leave it to you, man. Do all your pitching right here, man. Where, where you know, you're ubiquitous, man, but I know some people still are sleeping, so let them know where to get get uh, get what you at. Let them sleep. Scoop, Scoopy Radio podcast available on all streaming platforms. Um, and check out my work at heavy.com or the senior writer. Yeah, man, been down since the beginning, pretty much, man. It's been just over seven years now since you 
you first wrote for We Are Regal Radio, and uh, he's been uh, he's been our guy ever since, man. Nothing but love for you, bro. Stay safe out there in in, in the metropolitan, the New York metropolitan area. I know things are getting a little better out there with the COVID, but uh, yeah, you know, just keep take care, take care of yourself and keep bringing that heat, man, like you always do.